What's up, guys, and welcome to the first episode of the On The DL podcast. I'm your host, Sam Thornton, and I can't wait to get this thing rolling. Words can't even describe how excited I am to start this podcast with you guys. It's been a dream of mine to start a show like this for a while and to finally come come into life, so let's not waste any time and let's get this thing rolling. On today's episode of On The DL podcast, we're going to discuss the new Big Ten realignment and what this means for the future of the NCAA. The always crazy and exciting summer NBA free agency with my buddy Max Leakey joining the show for that. Really excited to share that with you guys. We had a great conversation with him. What the Carolina Hurricanes should do this offseason for my Caniacs out there. This was a really great dissection of what I think the Hurricanes need to do to get over that hump and get to the Stanley Cup final and perhaps win a Stanley Cup. This week's segment of Thornton's Betting Tavern. And finally, my very own album of the year rankings at the midpoint of this calendar year. Let's begin with the blockbuster news of this weekend that took the NCAA by storm. And I think everybody knows what I'm alluding to here. UCLA and USC are now part of the Big Ten. Look what's happening to the shape of the NCAA. Revenue, revenue, revenue. That's all I got to say. UCLA and USC are now officially admitted into the Big Ten starting as soon as 2024. Although, I really could see it happening before that. Maybe in 2023, maybe the Pac-12 will say, y'all just need to hightail it out of here. We don't don't need that bad energy around our conference. We don't need to have people that don't want to be here, and I would totally get that. I think, honestly, the sooner you, you start it is probably the better. My initial reaction to this, I think I saw the the blurb on my phone, the ESPN app alerted me. My initial reaction was just, I'm speechless. I first thought to myself, this makes no sense because as a young sports fan, we've all grown up with all these conferences being geographically together. And I think that as a sports fan and as sports fans, we're so used to seeing the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12 the Pac-12, and, you know, just choosing a side, whatever your team is in, that's what conference you think is the best conference. And there's always been debates of, you know, the SEC's better. No, the ACC's better. Oh, don't forget about the Pac-12 if you're a Bill Walton fan out there. It just is, is shocking to see where the direction of the NCAA is going ever since the the beginning of the NIL deals and it's going to be honestly crazy to see what happens. I do have some thoughts about where I think that the NCAA is heading, but after a few hours, you know, getting adjusted to this news, it did make absolute sense to me because as we all know, the NCAA is a money driven establishment. It's always been that way. Even before the NIL and endorsement deals even began, we were, witnessing teams sliding things under the table donors have been present for a long time so it's nothing new but now it's just all in our face it's out there we get to see it for what it is and if you like it that's great because that's what you're going to get used to UCLA and USC didn't want to wait out on something that's going to happen a few years down the road which I believe is this I believe that the NCAA is going to make two or three major conferences. Two or three major conferences or leagues, whatever you want to call it. 
the Power Five conferences are diminishing. And honestly, I think we it all goes back to the college football playoff when I think of it. We see SEC teams dominating that that platform. We see SEC, we see ACC, we see sometimes some Pac-12 with Oregon, maybe some big Big 12 teams like Oklahoma, although now they're going to the SEC. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. There doesn't need to be five power leagues in the NCAA. There really doesn't need to be five conferences that run the show. Because at the end of the day, it's really one or two. It's the Big Ten and the SEC. And if you're an ACC sports fan, I know that's sad to hear because if you're a UNC or Duke fan out there, they run. They used to run the show in basketball. But over the last few years, the ACC really hasn't been that strong. And the only relevant team in the ACC football-wise is probably Clemson over the last decade when you think about it. I know teams like NC State and Wake Forest are starting to, you know, get higher on that platform, but they 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 are not ever going to reach the heights that the Alabamas and the Clemsons and you know the Oklahomas and even though Texas hasn't been relevant in a while, they're never going to reach that status of a program. So I do believe that the NCAA is going to make two or three major conferences, perhaps even a system where there's one league that's top of the top, then there's another league at the below that with mid-majors, and then maybe even a league under that with smaller schools. And within those leagues, those teams will play one another. This isn't confirmed, by the way. This is just my, this is my theory that I think could work. Sort of like in European soccer where there's the Champions League and then the Europe League and then the Conference League. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants to see the top teams play the top teams. That's where the money is. That's, that brings money. That bring, everybody wants to see the best teams play each other. And we saw that in the Final Four this year with Duke, Kansas, Villanova, and UNC. So the ratings were at an all-time high because the best teams were playing each other. So I just think it makes the most sense. That's just the direction we're going in, people. Um, I think a platform like I suggested could happen, although I think what will probably end up happening is there might be two major conferences. Like just the, There might just be end up being the Big Ten and the SEC. Or maybe the Big 12 and the Big 10 will end up combining, and then the ACC and the SEC will end up combining, and there's just going to be two major leagues that goes on. That's how ratings and views are going to go up at the end of the day. I believe this is where everything is heading. Now, the platform I just mentioned with the three leagues, like we have one giant league with all the major conferences that we've been used to seeing, and then some mid-majors and then some smaller schools, it would be interesting to see if the system would be used just for high revenue sports like football and basketball, or if it would be for everything. That's what I'm really curious about. I really don't know where all of this is going as a whole, if that makes sense to you guys. I don't know if, if cross country and swimming and tennis and all these great sports that don't get enough recognition are going to be put together with the high-revenue sports. 
I don't know if they're going to separate them. I don't know if they're going to be brought together so that they can grow revenue themselves. It's just going to be very interesting to see. And if it is for everything, would that mean each college has a fair game to reach the top league with each within each individual sport? So if I explain that better, it would just be, you know, we have we have three leagues, like I mentioned, the top league, the mid middle league, and then the very bottom league. Would that be just based on the individual sports from those colleges would be able to go within each league and intertwine in each league? Or would it be a complete, you would take a complete collection of all the sports and then end up putting them in each league? Like, if you guys are familiar with the Capital One Cup they used to do, it was like the best overall athletics program as a whole. I don't know if that's going to be a factor or if it's just going to be the, the, the sports that bring in the most the most revenue like basketball, baseball, football. If that's going to be the only things they care about by separating these all these conferences into a couple or three. That's the thing that I'm most interested in. I'm sorry if that's kind of confusing to the to those out there if I, the way I explained it, but those are just some thoughts I had. I've had over the last couple of days. If a team were to have an off year, would they get sent down to another league? Or how would that work? Would there be some kind of relegation system? I've heard people talking about, oh, imagine if they had a relegation system for college football in these conferences. Like if you're in the top conference and then you finish in the bottom two and get sent down. Like imagine the chaos that would happen if if that if that were the case obviously that won't happen because as i've mentioned multiple times before the NCAA is money driven the the donors are going to get what they want and money talks if you have a school with a bunch of donors let's say Alabama has an off year and they finish in the top 4 of the big league there ain't no way that Alabama is going to get sent to the league below there's no way no way is that going to happen. And I'm not saying any of this is true. I'm not saying any of this is confirmed, by the way. I'm just a dude who likes sports, and I'm just anticipating and conspiring and thinking of ideas. And I think something like this could be in the works. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what the NCAA committee decides to do five to ten years from now. Going back to the initial move of UCLA and and USC, I'm just excited about this move as a whole. I think it's going to be great for the lower revenue sports to build their own platforms and to engage in, in new environments and grow. I think sports like hockey and lacrosse can grow their sports potentially to become real D1 programs, like how the East Hockey and West Hockey have legitimate programs. I think that the talent that resigns within the Big Ten and the Pac-12 could end up producing some really good prospects and recruits and that could be a real possibility. The only thing that kind of sucks for USC and UCLA in this move is just to travel. Like they have to travel significantly more than any other college you know within a conference. Like UCLA, let's say UCLA tennis has a match on a random Wednesday afternoon or probably a Thursday afternoon 
or gymnastics, whatever you want to, whatever low revenue sport you want to say. You could have a gymnastics meet. It could be Rutgers versus UCLA, and they have to travel all the way to New Jersey on a Thursday and then go and compete Thursday to Sunday, fly all the way home, and then they got homework to do, they got tutoring, they have other obligations. It's just going to be a lot is going to weigh down on those schools. And if you're in the Big Ten, you have to recognize that as a recruit and a student athlete, you have to realize, you know, is this something I can handle? Is this something that is doable for for what I want in a college experience? And I think that is something that's not being talked about enough. I think, you know, if you're a student athlete, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to balance your balance your time. It's just it's going to be something that they're going to have to adjust to. It's going to be like Canadian hockey teams like the Vancouver Canucks that have to cover the most ground in the season. And then, believe it or not, that does that does have an impact on teams. As for the Pac-12, it looks like the Pac-12 is going to diminish in a few years, unfortunately. I think the NCAA just needs to have a major conference soon to discuss the state of the conference alignments because you're going to see schools soon like UNC, Clemson, Oregon, Kansas, and others. Just Those are just some that come to the top of my head. They're going to want in on new conferences. I guarantee you within the next few years, UNC and Clemson are going to reach out to the SEC to join. Guarantee it. Guarantee it within three years something like that will happen. A team like Oregon could easily say, Hey, Big Twelve, I went in, I want I want to move to your I want to move to your conference. Look at all this Nike money we have. Look what we can bring to the table. Teams like Kansas, you know, Texas Tech maybe. I don't know, you know, I don't know what's gonna happen with the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve, but that's why I'm saying this is going to be a really big deal. This is going to be a really confusing time for student athletes, for the NCAA as a whole. Is it really college or is it this is this is a league? This is a league now. This is not like how it used to be. And I think the start of this was really OU and Texas joining the SEC. When you think about it, that's really what it came down to. That's how everything got kicked off. And it's just going to be very intriguing to see what happens within this five-year window, 10-year window for the NCAA as a whole. But, you know, as a sports fan, as a college sports fan, you can't, you can't fight it. You got to be happy. You got to be happy with, with what's happening. You got to be happy that these kids are getting more attention, that they're getting paid, that they're growing the game at the end of the day I think it's I think it's good for the NCAA but there's people out there who don't like change and I feel bad for those people because that's just the way it's going to be we now welcome on my good friend Maxwell Dean Linky to discuss the always crazy and dramatic NBA free agency this guy right here knows more about hoops than anyone I know so it was only right to bring him on for the first episode how we doing Max Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully I can live up to that, that title. I got, yeah. a lot thoughts, got a lot of thoughts about this offseason. Yeah, you ready to get started? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. Let's start with the Kevin Durant and just the whole Nets organization drama. 
We had Kyrie wanting out initially, but then signing his player option for this season with the Nets. And, you know, we had a lot of drama going on. Uh, we knew that Kyrie might have been on the move, but then we all thought to ourselves when he signed that player option, all right, we can, we can all exhale now. It uh, looks like Kevin Durant and him have worked things out, but then all of a sudden Kevin Durant requests a trade. So, Max, please give me your initial thoughts on this. And by the way, to the audience, we have not conversed about this topic at all or any hoops recently, so I'm really interested to hear what you, what's on your mind. Man, I, I think I had the same thought process as you. I was reading all the tea leaves about Kyrie to the Lakers, Kyrie to the Sixers. It seemed like he was gone. And then the one year, the opt-in didn't make any sense when I saw it at first. I was like genuinely so confused on how, why he would ever do that. But from what I'm hearing from Shams and stuff, it seems like he didn't have any real sign-and-trade offers. His, his options were either to sign the MLE at $6 million with the Lakers or essentially go back to the Nets on a longer deal. So I think opting in, although it seemed like a loyalty play by him, which is ridiculous, uh, it seems like he just wanted the most flexibility. That's what Woj and that's what Sham is saying. So I don't know. I think if I well, – where do you think he's going to end up is my question because I don't think it's the Nets. Well, I did have a question, a follow-up question after we talked about it for a little bit, but I do have a question. Do you think there could be a potential package trade deal with Kyrie and Katie, or do you think that they both want nothing to do with each other? What do you think about that? No, I, I think they're both just fed up with the, with the Nets organization, I guess, which is ironic because Kyrie just seems to be a wrecking ball for every organization he goes to, but I don't think there can be a package deal simply because of how much the Nets are demanding for KD. It seems like they want, they've already said they want an all-star. And I just think if they threw Kyrie in, they would expect a mega deal that no team has the assets to offer. I think I don't really see, I guess you could get into the Lakers offering Anthony Davis and all of their picks and Austin Reeves and every other player, but then I don't know. Like, what does that what does that leave you? I th feel like that doesn't really benefit either team. Okay, so you're saying that you don't think it's possible for them to end up at the same place? I don't. Okay. That's I, I don't think. It's and I I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that um, I'm just gonna give my gut reaction where I think each will end up. I think that. Well, let me ask you first. Let me ask you first. Where do you think each will end up? And kind of two separate, two separate questions here. Where do you think they will end up? And then where do you want to see them? It's mm, a good question. I think Kyrie, the only team that is desperate enough to take the risk on Kyrie is the Lakers. They are backed into a situation where they don't have any other options. And I think what they have, I think the Nets are going to look at that. And Russell Westbrook on expiring, the couple picks they have, I think they're going to have to take that offer because there's not a lot of other teams that are desperate enough to roll the dice on someone like Kyrie. KD, though, I think he has the most, even though he's on a five-year deal, I think he has the most leverage of anyone in the league. And I think whatever team gets him is going to have to shell out a bunch. So, but that being said, I think. 
I don't know. I, I would have said the Suns two days ago, but the recent uh, news about how they the Nets can't take on a player on the rookie max extension, which would be DeAndre Aiden. I just don't know what the Suns would trade, but I think the Suns would make the most sense for him as wanting to win now. Now, who do I want them to go to? KD, I don't want him in the West because I'm a Warriors fan. And him on the Suns is very worrying. I think he, either on the Bulls or the Celtics, mm. I think both of those teams have enough to win now and also have enough to put a package together for KD, potentially. Interesting. I have not heard any anything about – you're probably the first person I've heard to say anything about KD to the Bulls. I have mm. rumblings of the Celtics. But let me just back up to the whole Kevin Durant drama situation – I feel like we kind of skipped over that. Just the whole, you know, I mean, we understand Kyrie is, he is who he is, and he's been a wrecking ball, like you said, to each team he goes to. But the whole Kevin Durant situation honestly confuses me a lot more. There was just so much initial drama for both of them to get to the Nets to be together. And then, you know, a couple things go wrong, and then all of a sudden it's time to jump ship. And like I said, we all know that Kyrie has been a problem everywhere, but for Kevin Durant, this just kind of highlights his hypocrisy with that with, I know I'm kind of being blunt here, but he, you know, he tried to prove everyone wrong that he could win a ring on his own with his own foundation at the Nets and getting a fresh start in Brooklyn, building a team around him. And after two seasons, he's, re he's requesting a trade to teams that have a superstar nucleus. So all of that just confuses me. Yeah, I mean, I think I could have told you when he did that. He left probably maybe a top five most reliable player of all time in Steph Curry and hitched his wagon to Kyrie Irving. I think that just shows his kind of ego at the time. I, I Look, I love Kevin Durant. I think he's a great player. I love what he did for the Warriors. But I, I think his ego, thinking that he could do it with a player like Kyrie and no, no other real pieces – um, it kind of showed in that moment. And then with the James Harden, like I'm sure I want to hear your thoughts about how the James Harden trade went down and how they traded a bunch of young pieces, tore apart the Nets, got rid of Kenny Atkinson, who was a great coach and did a lot. And Kevin Durant basically handpicked his roster like LeBron has done, and it just didn't go well. So I don't – like what, it, what, what did you think of the Kevin Durant-James Harden drama when that went down? James Harden is a very interesting, very interesting player to dissect, I think. You know, I think his glory days were definitely in Houston. I think everyone can agree with that. I just think that initially he didn't even want to be in Brooklyn. I think it was more so the – I mean, we found out after he was traded to the 76ers that all along he wanted to be with the Sixers, not with the Brooklyn Nets. I think it was just a desperation for him to get out of Houston. He just wanted to get out so bad that he was willing to park the bus, if you will, in Brooklyn for a few moments and then eventually force his way out of there. Um, I, think, I think in a right system, he could be a better player than we've seen, especially in the postseason when he folded and didn't perform like he should have. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's just a very confusing player as well. I think he's cooked. I think it's over for him. You think it's over? I'm going to be honest. From what we saw last season, I think 
I don't see him. I mean, Joel Embiid said it himself in a post game. I love how blunt Joel Embiid is. He was like, yeah, he's not the same player, and he's not. He's he's bigger now. He's slower. I just don't. I don't yeah. see him. He's going to have to understand his role, which is something that, as we know in the NBA, when you're a superstar, you get that you get that big ego. And we kind of saw that with Carmelo Anthony when he was in and out of the league for a little while, and then he finally adapted to his role. I'm not saying – I'm not comparing James Harden to Carmelo Anthony, but I'm just saying it's kind of a similar situation where we're starting to see his decline, and he's going to have to adapt to his new role instead of being – the triple-double guy every night, sort of like I, Russell Westbrook in a way. Yeah, I'd say the Carmelo comp is perfect. I think this is kind of similar to when he went to OKC and expected. I feel like if I gun to my head, if I p- had to pick Tyrese Maxey or James Harden for next year, I'm taking Tyrese Maxey. Oh, him- I agree. I agree. Um, I do I, agree with that. But it looks like James Harden will remain with the Sixers for at least next year. Yeah. I think that Kevin Durant's best fit in the East would be with the Miami Heat. Mm. However, I don't know. The, the question is, the question for every team is the packages. I don't know what kind of package they'll be willing to include. Um, but, you know, Pat Riley has been there and done that with, with all these kind of trades before. And I think that the Miami Heat would be a great fit for Kevin Durant remaining in the East. Um, and... You got to think, will Bam be included? Hero and Robinson, most likely. Maybe Lowry. Honestly, that's where I want him to end up as, as well. And it makes just the most logical sense, I think. Him and Jimmy Butler. And if they were to keep Bam Adebayo, I think that would be a very strong – I think that would be a very strong team and a hard team to be in the East. I agree. I think he'd slot in perfectly. The problem is, though – is I, I think you're right. I think it would have to be around Bam, but they can't do that because the max extension, either Ben Simmons would have to go to another team or would have to come along with KD. And I just don't, I don't know how they would navigate that. That's just a huge block in the trades available for the, the CBA rule, which is a crazy rule. I, I just don't know how that gives them very little flexibility. Elaborate on the CBA rule because I don't think a lot of people know about that. So, yeah, the CBA rule is you can't have two players on the same team that are currently in their rookie max extension. So that means after the rookie deal runs out, they sign anywhere from three to five year max extension. And if they're currently in that max extension, they can't be with another player. And I think and Bam Adebayo and Ben Simmons are both undergoing that max extension. So they would not be able to play on the same team. Yep. As for Kyrie... I do want him to be in L.A. Yeah. And you know why I want him to be in L.A. Why? <laughs> LeBron James. Bro, yeah. I mean, you think that puts him over the, over the hill, though? I think it's just – I think that's just the best place for Kyrie Irving to be. I think that – I think they would bury the hatchet. I think it would be a great – reunitement of of two guys who have won a championship together who used to trust each other on the court and we saw how magical they could be I feel like a lot of people if you've forgotten about how dominant that they were just go back and watch highlights when they used to play together please just do that because they were magical together on the court that's true that's true I just I think 
that team, even if they get Kyrie, and I think they're going to get Kyrie, it seems like everything's pointing to that. I think it just lies with Anthony Davis. LeBron's yep. in year 20. Anthony Davis hasn't been healthy for a full season since I don't even know when. And Kyrie, I think Kyrie's going to have a good season because the vaccine mandates are lifted. I think he's going to come out and I he's going to score a lot, but they need Anthony Davis. They need that big, especially in the West with Jokic and other other bigs knocking at their door. They they need they need AD. So I think the team's success doesn't lie with Kyrie Irving. It lies in AD's healthiness, personally. I, I think that's a very interesting point. I think that the Nets will do everything in their power to obtain Anthony Davis, but I just don't see that happening with the Lakers. I don't see their front office giving up Anthony Davis just yet. And I know he's been injury prone. He's had his ups and downs, but when he's, when he's healthy and he's on, he is a dominant force. Um, it would just going to be interesting to see the packages for that deal. We know Westbrook's going to be centered around it. Obviously we think about the nets who they would get in return also with Kyrie Irving, possibly Seth Curry. I think that would be a great addition for the Lakers to get some perimeter shooting. I think I saw a report that said the Lakers would rather obtain Seth Curry in a package rather than Joe Harris, which I honestly agree with. I agree with it 100%. I just don't know if the Lakers are in this position to pick and choose. If they tell me I have to take Joe Harris's contract for Kyrie, I'm taking that contract. Mm-hmm. I, don't really, I don't really see the holdup. However, I mean, if they're including, like I see a report right here that says – their current offers, Russ Westbrook, THT, and the 2027 pick. I guess if you're giving that up, maybe you want, like, another wing scorer. But I don't know. I mean, Joe Harris was a good player. I don't know if he'll come back to fool Joe Harris, but I don't know. I agree I agree 100% with your stance that I would rather have Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry's a great player. Yeah, and – Another question to think about is how is this Nets roster going to look if both of these trades go through? I mean, they're going to have, they're going to get a lot in return, especially if they were to get Bam Adebayo along with Russell Westbrook. They might have Ben Simmons. They could potentially have other players. Where do you think, where do you think they're going to end up looking like next, next season? So they're incentivized to win now because of all the trades they gave up in the Houston Rockets do, which at the time, I think we all agreed, like, who cares about those picks? They have Kevin Durant. They're going to be great. But that trade could go down to be as bad as that uh, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett trade mm-hmm. for back-to-back abysmal trades with picks that could make a huge difference. So I think they're incentivized to win now. I could see any combination of stars. I could see Devin Booker heading there. I could see... Jalen Brown going there. I could see Zach Levine, maybe DeMar DeRoe. I I just think they have so many options and they're not going to rush into it. And who knows at the start of the season, what their team could be built around. It could be, it could be any combination of stars. I think, I think they're in a, I think they're in a good spot, believe it or not. Yeah. What if, Imagine their backcourt if they were to have Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons. And then they would also have Ben Adebayo if that trade package for Kevin Durant goes through in Miami. Mm. I mean, that's – and they could end up having Russell Westbrook for all we know. Who knows? 
So that I mean, that team could end up being pretty deep with just a random assortment of players, just because of these two package deals that they're going to put together for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, random is a great word. It's going to be a strange. I'm very excited. It seems like the off season has kind of been put on hold until we find out where these two players go, and I definitely think they're on the move. It's going to be exciting. Oh yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's fast forward, or I guess go backwards to the NBA draft. Give me some give me some of your picks that you liked, some uh, situations for players that you think was a good fit. Mm. So I know as a Duke guy, you love Paolo. I was shocked by that pick. I felt like going up into the draft that it was Jabari, Jabari, Jabari because of the way he could shoot the ball. But since the draft, I really like the fit for Paolo and I really like him as being the number one player because I've been able to look back on some of his some of his highlights and I'm a UNC fan so that was tough hyping him up like I have been but I think Paolo with the magic I, I think they can make some noise Cole Anthony Paolo Jonathan Isaac Marco Fultz I Obama. like Obama but oh he, he's gone though he's he's leaving the magic unfortunately but oh I thought he just signed a extension did he oh I my think he did I think he did the magic that'll be not, maybe maybe mo bamba it was either mo bamba or bobo maybe both mm. i think i think bobo might have accepted the qualifying yeah it seems like mo bamba yeah the magic aren't expected to extend a qualifying offer to mo bamba okay okay i know they have they still have jonathan isaac right but he gets hurt all the time Jonathan Isaac, if he can come back. Oh, no, Mo Bamba's returned to the Magic on a two-year deal. Wow. Yeah, I thought I saw that. thought I saw that. We can go through the – Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter's great. Oh, I forgot about him. Wagner, like they have an insane young nucleus that I'm excited. I think Paolo slots right into that as a player who can make his own shot off the dribble. Jalen Suggs, oh, my gosh. I didn't hear much from him last year. Yeah, he had a really good second half of the season. because I think they just let him cook, and I hopefully they let him keep doing that next year. But, as, yeah, so I, I would say Paolo's a winner in that, and Magic are winners. Um, this one, I want, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I had, in my winners of the offseason, I had the Oklahoma City Thunder, which I know is controversial. Hmm. With their drafts, they took some risks. But I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on the Thunder and their draft? They are just, they're just, I don't even know where to start with them. They've, they've always been known for their draft picks, obtaining draft picks all the time. And we've always been saying, who are they going to take? How are they going to build this team? I think they come in with a chip on their shoulder. I know they got Chet Holgram, which I don't know your stance on him. I think he's, I think he's going to be a bust. Unfortunately, I am going to go out on a limb and say that I think he's, he he definitely has potential. He has the highest ceiling in this entire draft class. I stand by that stance, but I just don't see him panning out the way I think people are putting him up as to be. I think he's just I th- I know he's a great rim protector. He can move the ball down the court like we saw him do. He's versatile. But I don't think he's going to be I think the talent is going to outweigh him down the road. I think he's just going to get I think he's going to get bullied. I think he's going to get bullied with his frame. Um, 
I think they're an interesting team, man. I think the Oklahoma City Thunder definitely took some risks, like you said. I just don't. I, I'm not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of how they're building the team. I think I think it's very odd the way they're building their team. But I want to hear your stance. Wow. All right. I that the bus take. I'm I'm interested to see how that ages. I I, personally, I could be totally wrong. I mean, yeah. I I could be I could go on freezing cold takes in a year from now. But I'm just that's just the way I'm seeing him. I had an opinion going into the draft. I said if the Thunder and Sam Presti draft Chet, he's going to be a good player. If they pass on him and he drops to the Rockets, he's going to be a bust. I think Sam Presti's too smart, and he's proven it in his year. He drafting Josh Giddy last year, him asking for Shea when he hadn't really proved a lot, and Shea turned into the player he has. Oh, yeah, he's, a, he's a bucket. Shea, Shea's a bucket. I will say that. I think the Thunder – are are in a great spot and I think Chet even if he's not like the 2010 guy that they they think he might be he's still going to be an amazing shot blocker he's still going to be like he's so smart around the rim he can still shoot the ball he can still dribble it up in transition I feel like Chet he's too good and he's too from what I've seen confident in his game to fail completely I think his floor is like a it's like a tall – I saw this comp, like a tall Al Horford, I think, is his floor. I think he's going to be at least a good player is mine. Okay. And then as far as for the rest of the Thunder draft, I think they got Usman Dyang, who's another super young player, super, like, raw player that I think could potentially pan out. And then did they get the Williams? Is that them? The two Jalen Williams? Yeah, so they got they got the two Williams, Jalen, the two Jalen, Jalen Williams, one from oh, that's San right. and one from um, Oklahoma. I like both of those players, honestly. I think I think all four of the players they got are going to be great, and that's pretty bold. Maybe not great, but they're going to fit their role and they're going to come out on a good Thunder team, young Thunder team, and make some noise. I think in the West. Yeah, well, I hope that comes true. I don't like to be a hater, so we'll see. Uh, let's move on to signings, just general signings that you're a fan of. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any signings that you liked so far during this free agency period? And is there any head scratchers that you can think of? Shoo. Um, I think this, this free agency has been, there's been a lot of re-signings, which I love, like Jokic re-signed. They got Zion on the on the rookie extension, which I, I like. I think Zion's got a high ceiling. But the one head scratcher, I'm sure you would agree, is the Knicks. I'm just – they bring in Jalen Brunson for $100 million four years. That's a little confusing to me for a guard that hasn't proven he's an all-star yet. Yeah, and I actually – I wrote down signings I like and some head scratchers. I actually have him in signings I like. Mm. So, I, I know, I know. It's a gamble. It's definitely a gamble. But I think – you know, the, the flashes he showed in, on their deep run in the playoffs, I think without Luka Doncic carrying that team against a, some, some tough opponents in the West, I think he, he did prove himself to the point where the Knicks were able to take a gamble on him. And it could end up being, you know, he was just, he's just he could end up being a streaky player, but it could, end, it could work out to be one of the best moves the Knicks have made in a long time. So... I think if any team was going to make a gamble like that, it had to have been the New York Knicks because, let's be honest, they're just 
a desperate franchise at this point. So it could end up being good for them. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Jalen Brunson. I think he's great. But I just think to trade away players like Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, like trade away pretty decent role players to get an unproven I have, well, I, I, there's arguments to be made that he's proven just because, like you said, how he was able to carry himself with Luke off the court. But, I mean, he's he's 25. He's not super young. Uh, I don't know. I The one argument I, I have heard and I like for your stance is you look at all these max extensions that players are getting. There might not be a good free agent outside of LeBron in a year within the next five years for the Knicks to really even – pick up and Jalen does potentially give them trade flexibility in the future. So I'm willing to hear either arguments. Personally, I think that giving away role players for a, a player slightly above a role player is not the best strategy, but I could be proven wrong because of the things I've said and you've said for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another signing that I like personally is John Wall to the Clippers. Mm. I think this is the most intriguing move of the entire off season. Even if these big deals go through with KD and Kyrie, I think this is the most intriguing move of the entire off season, just because we have not seen John Wall play in two years. We don't know where his game is at. He goes to a team in the Clippers that we all know has a championship caliber squad with Ty Lue as their head coach. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he fits on that team. And if he can produce like he used to be able to. Yeah, I, I agree. I love I had that written down too. I love that for the Clippers. It's worrying as a Warriors fan because the rich get richer. I think the Clippers are going to come back even stronger than they've been since Kawhi's been there. Yeah, they're scary. I think they're going to be scary next year. They're scary and they're deep. They didn't have to give up any pieces to get John Wall like the Knicks did with Jalen Brunson. They they just added him to their roster. So they got Reggie Jackson. They got John Wall. They got real players that can create or Kawhi and Paul George. I think they're yep. Absolutely. Another head, a head scratcher I had was Bradley Beal stays with, the, stays with the Wizards and collects $251 million on a max deal. That's wild. I want to know your thoughts on that. I mean, we, we knew it was coming. I feel like as soon as he declined that, that or didn't opt in for that contract, we knew he was getting the max. I just... He says he wants to win, and then he signs that for a Wizards team that isn't doing anything. I, I could see a trade request coming in with how the new NBA is, but I could also see him rotting away in Washington like Damian Lillard. I just – head scratch is the perfect word for it, even though it was the most predictable move of the offseason. I was just – I just really viewed it as a head scratcher because I think, like you said, when he denied his player option – my thought process was, all right, well, based on the things he's been saying, I want to win now. I need, I need a new fresh start. That in my head just rang, okay, it's time for him to move on. Finally, we get to see Bradley Beal on a decent team. Championship caliber teams popped into my head. I got real excited. And then I saw the news, you know, breaking news, Bradley Beal stays with Wizards on a max deal. And I was, dang, man, that's just, that's just, I, I, that was the last thing I wanted to see. Yeah, it's brutal. It's just going to rot away, unfortunately. Yeah. Last thing I have for you, Max, is give me, your, give me your thoughts on the finals. 
we all know that you went to the closeout game. You're a huge Warriors fan. You went to the closeout game when they won the Garden. I just want to hear about your experience. Man, it was incredible. Boston was not very hospitable to me as a Warriors fan walking around in my Curry jersey. But, I mean, seeing Steph win his first Finals MVP and just seeing the pure emotion of all of the Warriors players, like, as he was going through it, a lot of people didn't see the Warriors players were doing the night-night celebration before Steph even did it in the fourth quarter. They they wanted it just as much for him as he did for himself, I, I could tell. And then just him doing the ring me celebration in the third, like they they knew it was due. It was, it was a electric. It was really, really exciting to see that. That's awesome. Glad you got to experience that. Last thing for you, give me a quick trigger prediction for next year. What do you think the finals matchup will be and who is going to be your NBA champion? I think I need to give you two answers. What I want to happen, and it's, it's possible, I want the Warriors to run it back. They made some pretty interesting moves this offseason. Um, I think the Warriors and the Bucks, and I want the Warriors to win it. Um, what I think is going to happen, I think, like we said, I think the Clippers are going to come out strong. And I think with how the Bucks have kept everything together, I see Clippers, Bucks with Bucks winning. I, I feel like that's that's my prediction. I like that. I like that. Well, Max, thank you for joining. Really appreciate your time. You're the best at talking hoops. So hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Appreciate it. All right, man. Catch you later. Yeah. All right, people. Let's talk some hockey. What are the Hurricanes going to do this offseason? Kaniac Nation, what should we do? What are the Hurricanes going to do this offseason? we got a lot of question marks, got a lot of free agents, some unrestricted free agents, some restricted free agents. I'm going to go through everything with you guys, what I think is the best ideas for our team. NHL free agency is quickly approaching, and for Hurricanes fans like myself, it's going to be a very pressing, important time for a time in the Hurricanes era where we seem to be knocking on the door of, of Lord Stanley. We seem to be right on the doorstep. But we got to get rid of these second and third round woes. We got to get it done. The Canes have made the postseason in the last four consecutive years. And each year it seems that they're getting better and better. However, this year had a different feel. I think everyone can agree with me. All my, all my fellow Hurricanes fans... It felt like this year was different. It felt like this year was the year to finally get over the first and second round woes. And if you're counting 2019, you can also include the Eastern Conference Finals, but we know that team honestly didn't deserve to make it that far. Even Jordan Martinuk admitted in his interview press conference that this year felt different than others. As fans, we could totally relate to that. Incredible regular season. Most points in franchise history were outstanding at home. We had home ice advantage. We had great, not great, terrific goaltending. Terrific goaltending. And let's keep the big picture in mind here, Kaniacs. It's obviously great that this team has gone from one of the well-known bottom feeders of the NHL during the 2010s to a rising squad that we see today. Fans are in the seats. Ticket sales are the highest they've ever been. Marketing sales are through the roof. 
Everything is great, and it seems like a great time to be a Canes fan. I'm not here to... I'm not here to forget that. It's a great time to be a Hurricanes fan, and I do think that the future is very bright. But once you get to this point, you can't get complacent. So we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to change in order to get over that hump? And I do have a few suggestions, but first... Let's look at the Hurricanes free agents heading into free agency this summer, which again begins on July 13th. So we're quickly approaching that, quickly approaching that deadline. Hurricanes list of free agents for 2022. Nino Nina Ryder, Martin Natchez, Vincent Trocek, Max Domi, Ian Cole, Brendan Smith, Derek Stepan, Ethan Bear, and Tony D'Angelo. Now, we see that there's going to be some tough choices to be made. And as we've seen in the past, Tom Dundon and Tom Dundon and our management isn't into giving players more than they deserve if they are considered a clear-cut star in this league. They can be putting up decent numbers, but if they aren't considered the top of the top with, with no hesitation, he's not going to give them a big deal, people. That's just the way we roll, and we have to get used to that. So that's why it's just going to be really interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting and intriguing group of players here. Another note, shout out to Adam Gold for this point. If you listen to the Canes Corner podcast and familiar with Adam Gold in the Raleigh area, the Hurricanes probably aren't going to sign any of these guys for more than two years. And why is that two-year number so important? Because in two years, there's going to be a huge paycheck coming up. For players like Sebastian Ajo, Tara Vinen, Seth Jarvis, and others too. So they need to be conservative here because obviously, looking towards the future, those players are going to be more important to deal with. Those are the long-term guys you want to take care of. I'm just going to go ahead and dissect each player that I listed one by one above. Let's start with Nino Nina Ryder. Let's not get let's not overthink this, please. Let's not overthink this. I think it would be a tremendous mistake if the Hurricanes did not re-sign Nino. Throughout the season, if you were watching, he was producing consistently as a top six forward, and when the team struggled, he always found a way to produce. Always found a way. The stall line was bar none the most consistent line. The Hurricanes had this year with Jordan Stahl, Nino Niederreiter, and Faust. It was consistently the best line all year long for the Hurricanes. Not only did he produce, he gets dirty in the trenches, he's physical, spaces the ice well, just an all-around great player. I thought he was the best player in the Boston series as well. He was great in the playoffs. If you are the front office, you need to do everything within reason to keep this guy. And if if you're part of hockey Twitter, if you're if you follow the Canes on Twitter, I can tell you that all the Canes fans feel the same way. The only thing that needs to be addressed is the dollar sign. And we don't know what he's hoping to get. If we take a look at his current salaries, current salary, sorry, I can't speak. He's currently getting 
which I think could either remain the same or even go down a little if he's willing to take a small cut to remain with the team. If I had to predict what I think is going to happen, I personally think he's going to buy in. And if we had to give him a slight bump, maybe to even 5.3 or 5.4, I think he would be worth it. Those are just my thoughts. And if you think about it, Jordan Stahl is getting six right now, which is too high for his production, even though he's a great captain. Not not going to slander Jordan Stahl on this podcast. There will be no Jordan Stahl slander on this podcast. But if you compare that to Nino's 5.5, it isn't 5.2 rather. You could bump him up a little bit to 5.4, 5.5. If you're going to compare Jordan Stahl's salary to his, what he could get. And in a dream scenario, you could get him at two by five, two years for 5 million. I think that could be perfect. And he seems like he loves the team. I think he's going to be the one that we can count on staying, but you never know. You never know. That's the one that I want the most. And I think a lot of people agree with me. Let's take a look at Martin Natchez. This one is so tricky for me. He was my favorite player last year. He was my favorite player on the Hurricanes last year. Last year, he was such a hidden gem for this team. And you could see the potential he had. And this year, to put it in a... to put it. To, to sum it up real quickly, it was a disappointment. This year was a disappointment for Natchez. And he, he admitted that. He admitted that. Which is very good to see because he took accountability for it. It was during his end-of-year press conference. He admitted he needed to produce more. You can, you can maybe make the argument that if he wasn't spending so much time on the fourth line in the postseason... He maybe could have produced more, but he did spend significant time on the second line in the regular season, and he 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 was non-existent at times. Sometimes you would watch a game and not even notice him, which is hard because he's so he's so fast. This situation kind of reminds me of the Elias Lindholm one, and at the time, I guess you could argue it was a decent trade because I mean Dougie Hamilton did give the Hurricanes some good production offensively, but. He was a ghost in the playoffs last season. My gut feeling is I think that something is going to get worked out. You'd hate to see such a talent washed away and him walk away when he had a clear off year. He's so fast, and I think he even hit the fastest top speed on ice this season. He was like 24.8 miles an hour or something crazy. He was number one. He has a great release when he's on top of his game, too. When he gets hot, he is he is on, people. He's a talent. He's very fun to watch. Very dynamic player. Extremely offensively talented. And it would just really I think it would I think it would be a mistake to let him walk. And I get some people can disagree with me, but I think it would be you do not want want to let someone who came up in your organization have a terrific year as rookie season and then walk away. You don't want to see that happen. 
he did mention in his press conference at the end of the year that he'd like to try out the center position. So we'll see what Coach Brendan Moore has in store for him. But that could be interesting. I don't know if it'll make a huge difference, but maybe he would be better in the middle of the ice with that speed he has. I think it would be a good scenario to re-sign Natchez on a two-by-1 million year. Right now, he's making like 800 k I think if you gave him a 200 k plus salary increase for two years, I think that would be a great deal because then you could, if he does produce a lot, you, you would still be getting insane value like you did the first season. And if he turns out to be the player he was at the end of this year and during this during this regular season, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And you can move on from him in two years. I think it would be wise to do that. The value would be insane. It would end up being great. I think he will be end up being great for this team. I think a deal will get done. Let's move on to Vincent Trocek. I feel pretty confident that Vinny is going to walk. And it's because of that dollar sign. Right now he's making 4.7. And I think based off the way he's been playing over the last couple years, he's going to want more. And I think rightfully so. He's a great player. Seems like a terrific human being. But I know he's going to want somewhere in the mid to high fives. Maybe even potentially six. I just I just don't think the Hurricanes can afford that based off what's coming up in a couple years, like I mentioned before. I read an article. I think it was with The Athletic. I can't remember. They were breaking down off-season maneuvers for the Hurricanes. And with Trocek, he is a smaller frame for his age, which I think could be a concern down the line at, at the center spot. As opposed to a player like you know, Nina Ryder, who plays the wing, bigger, physical, more physical player. They're about the same age. And hockey's as we know, is a very it's a violent sport. People get beat up in age. So I think it would be wise to lean on someone who has a bigger frame. But whoever picks up Vinny is gonna be very happy. I think he has a lot of good years ahead of him. He's a terrific player, and it's really going to hurt to watch him go because I, I do think he really – he's been outspoken about how much he loves the team, how much he loves playing for Rod. It's just going to be – it's going to be hard to watch him go. But I, this is the one I feel most confident about. I think he's going to walk. Let's move on to Max Domi. I think Max Domi is gone. Even though, as we all know, we saw his Game 7 heroics against Boston. They were nothing short of amazing. He's making 5.3 right now. And there's just no way we are going to re-sign him for that much money. And I don't think I don't think he, we're even going to give him less than that. Before the heroic Game 7 he had, he was non-existent, honestly. He was just a filler. He was a filler. Putting him and Lorenzen didn't make a difference. And I was kind of, it was kind of a head-scratcher at the trade deadline when you have a squad like we did. We didn't go out and get Claude Giroux or anyone that was big for just the 
the, the postseason, we got Max Domi. And it 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 was just a weird it, it was it was trading apples for oranges. It was it was the same thing. So I just don't see it happening. I don't see him staying around. Uh seems like a great guy, but I don't think it's gonna be I don't think it's gonna be a long term thing at all. I think Ian Cole could be good to keep. He's a free agent. Might be good to keep him based on his veteran experience with the Penguins. Honestly, I'm not really sure about this one. I don't have a prediction for you. I could see him staying. I could see him leaving. Um, he's a good physical player. Controls the blue line well. Was was solid all year long. Um, but I really don't know about this one. I think we. Could, I think it might be good to keep him be- based on his veteran experience, like I said, but. Don't have much to dive into on this one. As for his D partner, Brendan Smith, I think he's gone. To be honest with you, I think Jalen Chatfield is going to get his shot on this team. I think Jalen Chatfield is ready to be a Carolina Hurricane full-time. I forgot who was injured during the season, which required him to be called up from the Chicago Wolves, but he was terrific whenever he played. It was it was. He was physical, he was fast, he was accurate with his passes, his breakouts were good. He shut down he shut down offensive off, offensive plays when people were infiltrating the zone. He was good in the neutral zone. He's he's a great player. I think Jalen Chatfield is going to be a great Carolina Hurricane. And I'm really glad that he got to finish out the season with the Wolves and they won the, they ended up winning the Calder Cup. I think his I think his time is now. He's ready. So I think Brendan Smith is gone. I think Derek Stepan is gone. I think Ethan Bear is gone. I don't think Rod sees Ethan Bear in the system. I think he was decent on the power play unit this year, but not great. There were times when the power play unit wasn't working in the postseason, and I would just think to myself, you know, wh- where's Ethan Bear? Where's Ethan Bear? Where has he been? He can he could be the QB of this power play unit. But it seemed that he never recovered from COVID. He never recovered. And I don't know if it was fully because of that or if Rod doesn't like him in the system or if he wears another lingering injury. I don't know what the deal was, but... I don't really see him finding a role on this team, a significant role. I think he could find a lot more production somewhere else. The year before, I think it was the bubble year, so the 2019-2020 season, he was putting up some decent numbers with the Edmonton Oilers. So I think he could find production somewhere else. Finally, we have Tony D'Angelo. I think a deal will be reached here. I saw today that he is officially shopping the market, which I think is totally fine. I think that's totally okay. I think Tony was won over by the fans in Carolina. I think he was accepted here. I think the fans liked him as a whole. He bought into the system. There was no better place for Tony D'Angelo to be after everything that went on with him than to be with the Carolina Hurricanes as Rod Brindamore as the head coach. 
No better, no better place. I think we could sign him to a two by one or two by two, which is terrific value for the way he produces offensively. I love Tony and the way he plays. And listen, he gets a lot of shit for the way his emotions got the best of him this postseason, especially against the Boston Bruins. But I think he was valuable to the team in a lot of ways that outweighed that problem. He was a beast offensively in the regular season and was honestly, he's honestly a sneaky good defender. He was better than Dougie's meltdown when we were giving him millions more. So I don't think that you can be upset with that swap that we saw for, uh, we got rid of Dougie and we brought in Tony to be, as, a replace, as a replacement for $7 million less dollars. So you also can't blame his production in the postseason with the power play unit and his overall offensive game because there were a lot of players to blame for that. It wasn't just Tony D'Angelo melting down. It was a lot of, a lot of Carolina Hurricanes went absent when we needed them. The goal scoring was an issue, and the power play was an issue. And we're going to address that problem later in the show, but, you know, whenever you're hated by people and things have happened to you, you're going to get thrown under the bus, and that's just how it is. When the power play wasn't working in the postseason, everyone blamed it on Tony for some reason. And I understand he's the quarterback of the player, of the power play unit, but he was getting too much blame, which didn't make any sense to me and it doesn't help when the passes he was delivering to people on the unit were getting sailed 20 feet over the net which is something that the hurricanes were by the way the worst in all year long we led the nhl in the highest chances but had the worst production based off those chances because we can't hit the net so that's something that needs to be fixed in the offseason I don't know if it was just bad luck. I don't know if it was target practice. I don't know what it was, but there were some horrific shots. They were always terrific chances. We're really good at producing, but we could just never finish. I got some players on my wish list. I have some players on my wish list that I think could help us get over our issues. We need another offensive top six weapon. Someone who can consistently provide goal-scoring abilities to this team. That was an issue in the postseason, as I just mentioned. The Hurricanes don't have a pure scorer on the team. And hopefully the evolution of Andrei Svechnikov and Seth Jarvis can bring that. Because when you're Seth Jarvis, you can't have that burden on you at 19 years old or 20 years old or however young he is. You can't have a rookie come into the team and be your best goal scorer when you have Sebastian Ajo, Tevo Teravainen, Martin Natchez, Vincent Trocek, others, you know, you can't have that burden on you. You can't have that expectation. You just got to grow. Hopefully the evolution of Andrei Sveshnikov next year really takes off. Hopefully he can take that next step. However, we, we need someone, we need someone that we can rely on. And, Maybe we can even slide in a new a new D-man to replace Cole and Smith if they both leave. I did mention Jalen Chatfield, but it could be nice to bring someone else in. I'm going to go through the wish list. 
First person I have listed is Philip Forsberg. I think that he is done at Nashville. I think he knows that. I think he's ready to move on. He's at $6 million a year right now. That's where his salary's at. And I think that's a gamble that you could take. It's honestly not that high for a quality player like he is. He's a terrific player, goal scorer, dynamic. I know the Preds fans love him. I know he's I know he's a stud. And I think someone like that could definitely help. I have Andre Burakovsky on here. He's making four point nine. Just won a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. Another great player. Ryan Schrome, center to replace Vincent Trocek, perhaps, from the New York Rangers. He's at 4.5. We have another New York Ranger on here. We have Andrew Kopp, 3.6, also another potential center. And then my last one, I have gone over all forwards. I did say we could add a defenseman, but perhaps Manson from the Colorado Avalanche, perhaps. He's a little on the expensive side at 4.1. But if someone like that could be brought in at the blue line, I think that would that would be terrific. That would be terrific. We are now entering Thornton's Betting Tavern. Every single episode, I'm going to be bringing you guys Thornton's Betting Tavern. It's going to be my little segment of bets, futures, parlays, anything that I want to mention to y'all that I think could give you guys some good value anything coming up that i think you guys could win some money on so for this episode we are going to be doing nfl futures because the nfl futures the odds are finally out they were released this week and i want to go over some awards for the futures that i think could be good for you guys so we're going to start with the rookies offensive rookie of the year Leading the pack, I'm just going to read the top five odds for you guys. We have Kenny Pickett at plus 500, Drake London at plus 700, Traylon Burks at plus 800, Brees Hall at plus 800, and Christian Watson at plus 800. Who I'm going to give to you guys, who I think is going to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year at the best value. I know you guys are going to call me biased here. But I am going with Jamison Williams at plus 1,200 on the Detroit Lions. In my opinion, I think J-Mo is the best wide receiver. He was a, I think he was the best wide receiver in college football last year. He was torching every single secondary he saw. And most notably, torched UGA's defense in the SEC championship game. Extremely fast. He runs like a 4.3. Coming off an injury... He had that ACL injury, and I think he would have been the first wide receiver taken if he didn't get hurt. Not to mention the Lions are going to be bad again, so he's going to be a heavy target for Jared Goff. You do have Ahmad St. Brown, who is amazing, really good player, but I think them two are going to be the primary targets. And at plus 1,200, I think that's amazing value. So... I have Jamison Williams for my Offensive Rookie of the Year. And some stats from last year, he did have over 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns in 15 games. So there's that for you. Defensive Rookie of the Year, I'm going with Derek Stingley Jr. 
at plus 900. He is the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. He has the seventh best odds at plus 900. The top five are Aiden Hutchinson, uh, Kayvon Taibu, Trevon Walker. Sorry if I butchered Kayvon's name, by the way. Trevon Walker, Kyle Hamilton, and Quay Walker. And then Jermaine Johnson and Derek Stanley Jr. are tied at plus 900. He's a great cornerback. He's a great cornerback from LSU, was highly recruited out of out of high school. I think he was the number one cornerback for in the nation, I think. I believe he was the number one cornerback in 2019. Was very, very talented his freshman year. Did not produce as well as he probably should have the next two years, but still an All-American player in those years, All-American in college, and was rarely targeted. Really, really good value for this spot especially because he's probably going to be the Texans number 1 cornerback. You could make the you could make the argument that it's probably not a good idea to pick him based on how many points the Texans are going to let up, but I think he's going to get a lot of interceptions. I think he's going to make a lot of stops and the Texans took him at th- at number 3 for a reason. They took him there for a reason. That's who I'm going with. I'm going with Derek Stanley Jr. at plus 900 for the defensive rookie of the year. Defensive player of the year, I'm going with Micah Parsons. I think this will be a popular pick. Um, I do not have those odds pulled up, but I know he was, I think he was third. I believe he was third best odds at plus 900. And the guy's a stud. I don't really have to say anything. You guys know who Micah Parsons is. He is a great player, only going to be in his second year in the NFL. He was six in sacks last year as a linebacker in his rookie season. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And he's so confident in himself. I believe in him. That's my defensive player of the year, Micah Parsons. Offensive player of the year, Devontae Adams at plus 1,200. That's going to be a very interesting one to see. He has the fourth best odds. Cooper Cup is first. Jonathan Taylor is also tied for first. Derrick Henry is in third. Devontae Adams fourth, and he's also tied with Debo Samuel at plus 1,200. This is going to be a fun one to watch. Very fun player to watch. That connection with Aaron Rodgers was something special, but now he's on a new team, and he's reunited with his old teammate from Fresno State and Derek Carr. I think he's going to ball out. I think he's going to show everyone that he's that guy. Um... I believe in him. I think he's the best receiver. I think he's the best receiver in the NFL. And I think it was, I think, so Michael Thomas won in 2019 Offensive Player of the Year, and he was the first wide receiver to win the award since Jerry Rice, I believe, which was in the 90s. But that trend quickly changed when Cooper Cup won last year. So I think Devontae Adams is has his eye on that I think he I think he wants that and I think the Raiders are also going to be a good squad out of the AFC West the toughest division that is my offensive player of the year Devonta Adams at pretty good value at plus 1200 finally my MVP well actually not finally but finally for players my MVP is Josh Allen he's the favorite I'm not going to bet against the favorite right now because Josh Allen is an amazing talent 
about to be the best player in the NFL this year. We saw his performance last season in the AFC Championship game. We saw his performance in, I think it was the divisional round against the Patriots. Perfect game. Literally threw a perfect game. You don't see that kind of stuff. That was the most outstanding performance, two of the most outstanding performances I've ever seen from a quarterback. He was unbelievable. And we know what he's capable of with the number one offense. We know what this offense is capable of. He has a chip on his shoulder from last year. He wants that Super Bowl. I think this is going to propel him to the MVP. And that's who I'm taking at plus 750. The favorite, Josh Allen. Now, finally, Super Bowl champs. I'm going with the Los Angeles Chargers. Not the Los Angeles Rams, the Los Angeles Chargers. This is the best value for a team that had the best offseason with additions on defense. They acquired J.C. Jackson from the New England Patriots and Khalil Mack. That defense is going to be lethal. I think they're now one of the most complete teams in the NFL. They're my pick to win the AFC West in that stacked division. I think Herbert will be a serious candidate for MVP as well. Almost picked him for my MVP. And no, by the way, I'm not a I'm not a Chargers fan. Just going to say that. I think he's going to throw career highs and everything. I think his stats are going to be off the charts. I see them as a very scary team at great value here at plus 1520. The Chargers. Look out for them. Okay, to finish up the show, I'm going to give you guys my album of the year ranking so far at the mid- at the midway point of the year, the calendar year. As some of you guys know, I am a huge music fan, uh, mainly a rap connoisseur, hip-hop connoisseur, but honestly, I eat anything up. Um, hopefully, I can be able to give you guys some of my music opinions uh, throughout each episode. That's something I really, really want to do for you guys. I think it's going to be fun to share my music taste. You guys can follow me on Spotify as well. If anyone wants my Spotify, it's Los Trace Dash Two. Um, you can check out my playlists. This is in no specific order. I just want to highlight some of these terrific artists, and hopefully, one day, I can have some special guests that are artists on the show. That's a big dream of mine. Hopefully, it comes to fruition. But anyways, here we go. I have five albums here. The first one I'm listing off is Melt My Eyes by Denzel Curry. If you aren't familiar with Denzel Curry, you need to listen to his stuff immediately, man. He is terrific. He is one of my favorite artists out right now. I think this album of his might be one of his best. That man has not missed with a single album. He is he is amazing what he does. His production's insane. His features are really good on this album. Um he can do it all, you know. Like he's just one of those artists that can be so dynamic in his music. He can he can give you that head bump in music. He can slow it down. He can be sentimental. He can spill out his heart. You know, he can do whatever he wants, man. He's and he he believes in himself too. He says continuously, "I'm the best in the game right now." So, uh, Denzel Curry, "Melt My Eyes." You guys need to check that one out. It's one of my favorites. 
It's a pretty long album too, so you guys definitely definitely check that out. This next one just dropped, like literally just dropped. It's a small EP, so I don't know if you could call it an album, but it's a piece of art, so we're just going to roll with it. No Recognition by Aaron May. His first album was Chase, uh, and he released that in 2019, and some of the best songs off that were, he's best known for Let Go. Um, that's his, that's his, that's his big hit. Uh, also if you, if you want to listen to more of his stuff, Ride's a really good song, but this No Recognition EP, man, it's like six songs and each one is just so vibey. It's really good. It's really good music. So you got to check that out. No Recognition, Aaron May, shout out Aaron May, uh, got to get this guy out there. He's, he's a really, he's a really talented artist. Next one on my list is It's Almost Dry, Pusha T. In my opinion, I think Pusha T is one of the most underrated artists in the game we have right now. Um, he doesn't get enough credit, I think, and I think it's really because he rolled with that. He grew up with that era of with Kanye and J. Cole and uh, Drake and you know Big Sean and Lil Wayne. I think he just flew under the radar lyrically. And his bars are crazy, and this this album is really good too. It's got some good features. Um, my favorite, my it's probably my favorite. Two of my favorite songs of this year are on this album: "Neck and Wrist" with Jay Z and Pharrell, and "Diet Coke." And "Diet Coke" is probably going to be my my most listened to song of the year. So you guys definitely gotta you guys definitely gotta check that out. Next one I got on here is by Earth Gang. Shout out Dreamville. Ghetto Gods. Ghetto Gods dropped in February. And honestly, at first, I thought it was kind of underwhelming for them. I was super excited about this album. I know they had an original release date and it got pushed back a couple weeks. I was super bummed. And then I listened to it and was like low-key kind of disappointed. But it ended up being one of my favorite albums after a while. Um... That song, they got a song with Future on there called Billy, and that's one of his, that's one of my all-time favorite Future verses. So if you're a Future fan, you gotta, you gotta rock with these guys, uh, rap group out of Atlanta. They seem like very genuine people. I follow them on Twitter. They're always uh, getting in touch with their fan base, tweeting at them, showing love. So you guys need to check them out for sure and check out their other work as well. And then my last one is no other than Mr. Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale, and the Big Steppers. Um, honestly, this 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 album is still marinating with me, but I did enjoy it. Um, I kind of had an unpopular opinion with my favorite songs on it. My favorite song on that album is probably Die Hard with, uh, with Blast. And I saw in the comments a lot of people didn't really rock with that song or didn't think didn't rock not didn't rock with it but didn't didn't like it as their favorite song uh i think n95 is probably his most popular one or silent hill with kodak black but that album is just he's just pouring his heart out to everyone he's just very vulnerable which is a great thing to see from artists nowadays you know and no one else could have perfected that the way he did all right guys that's the show I want to thank you guys for tuning in to the inaugural episode of On the DL Podcast. 
really, really hoping that this is going to be big for you guys. I'm going to be trying to post podcasts probably once or twice weekly. Just depends on how the schedule's working out. And, you know, I'm still working at this. I'm going to try to get better each episode. So shout out to those who are listening to episode number one. I think it's going to just get better with time, with production and uh, my topics. So just give me any feedback you guys might be might be wanting to might be wanting to give to me and uh, we'll be back with an episode soon.